Hello, my friends. Today we are talking to Hendrik, the CTO at Hans Robot, and we discuss their mind-blowing innovation in the world of robotics, what cobots are and how they're working with humans, and why it was so important for Hans Robot to build open technology. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Hey there, buddy. I'm there. Hi, Joel. Hendrik, is that how I pronounce your first name? Yes, that's correct. I like your background. Look at that. What is it? What does your neon sign say? Uh, think about things differently. Oh, I like that. It's pretty cool. I hope it's good captured in the camera here. I did a lot of uh, setting things up that you got it not over, over lighted, and I hope it no, looks cool. It looks great. You've got a light going. You've got a, what type of camera do you have? Uh, right now, it's just my webcam here okay. that I'm recording on. But I got a little light that you can see me good enough. That's like the the future now is we have to have lights, we have to have microphones, we have to have cool backdrops. This whole working from home thing has really <laughs> stepped up everyone's game. Absolutely. And all those things are completely sold out because everybody is buying it and all this accessory you need for home streaming and web meetings and so on. Uh, I tried to get a headset. I think the second week after lockdown here in Germany at COVID uh, happened, uh, it was nearly impossible because completely Amazon stock was empty. Oh yeah. Even today, some of the webcams are out of stock. We tried to buy some for our sales team, you know, to upgrade like the experience that people have when meeting with their sales team. And they were just all on back order and it's been like two or three months. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I was really interested. So I was I was reading through your bio and it said you have a degree in something I didn't know it existed. It's called mechatronics. Am I am I saying that right? That's correct, yeah. What is that? It's not well known in the United States. Okay. Uh, mechatronics is an intermediate way of having um, electronic mechanics um, control software and it's just right in the middle. So you get to look in all these different fields and uh, yeah, it's perfect for robotics. So um, you can choose actually the uh, study course I did. You can choose if you want to go more focus onto electronics and do electrical development, or if you want to go more to the mechanical part. And I was very focused on uh, mechanics and uh, combination with control laws and so on. So making motions, making things optimized for uh, yeah, dynamic behavior and dynamic motions. And it's a really cool thing. So uh, I can recommend it. If anybody finds this course, I can recommend it to do it. Now, did you, was that your first introduction to building robots or had you been doing it prior to school? Um, and the very first time I was introduced by, uh, to robotics was actually as a child when I started playing around with those Lego toys. I think Lego Mindstorm was um, the, first, uh, the first name when I launched it. Um, this was the first time, but then over uh, when I started my um, engineering course, um, at the beginning, I didn't have to do anything with, um, with robotics, but just um, yeah, by accident, as it always happens, then in the middle um, of my um, bachelor's degree, then I um, found a job or I found a, a thesis at an institute that we're about to set up a new robotic cell. And it was super fascinating to work uh, together with the team there. And then from that point on, I yeah, stayed in the field of robotics until now. And I think it's the greatest decision I made because um, you can do so many different things. And it's like all the engineering disciplines coming together in one product. And what, what type of problem were you solving in college or your first job? Like what was the business value that you solved with the robots? 
Um, we were working actually with very big heavy-duty robots and um, I'm located here in Hamburg in north of Germany and here the aerospace business is pretty big. So well, the challenge in aerospace is always to make manufacturing cheaper and make it easier and more, uh, more productive. I think things have changed maybe now how uh, you, the need for uh, productive manufacturing in the aerospace business is right now, but at that time it was uh, pretty much ramping up and everybody was looking for new ways of um, building planes. And um, the parts you're doing at aircraft, especially the large parts like the wings, like the vertical tailplane and so on, they cost a lot. So it's like a house. One part is the value of a house you have there. And so um, the process you need to do on that, like trimming the edges or coating the whole path, it's super sensitive and it needs to be super precise and very good controlled. Uh, but on the other hand, you have those very, very big special machines you normally use that nobody wants to invest in the future anymore. And um, yeah, then robotics were very interesting at that point, leveling the quality and the accuracy and the capabilities what robots can do to a level where you can do the precision and the um, yeah quality you need for aircraft parts. And yeah, this was where I started on. So we set up a robot cell where we wanted to machine robots, uh, machine aircraft parts uh, and make this whole process much simpler and much more versatile. Are you excited about this path that you chose? I mean, you get to work with robots all day. Yes, <laughs> I do. And it's so cool. So every time you see a robot moving with all its axles at the same time, it's always fascinating. So the childish eyes you have at the first time, uh, you never lose. <laughs> I was at a conference last year at this conference called Synapse, and they take all the different technology from our state and they bring it to uh, Lightning Stadium, which is like a professional hockey team, and they display it, right? So you get a wide variety, whereas normally conferences are pretty narrow. So you'd get like security, you get all types of stuff. And they had this robotic arm and they were showing it off to me. And it was really cool because uh, I, I don't get to interact with like industrial robotics often, right? And the, the feature that I found interesting was that it had this concept that it works with humans. So when the arm would move, if you apply a certain amount of pressure against it, it kind of like just collapses and returns to like some normal state because they're made to be working like around humans. And then when I saw your website, I saw that you had some of the robots that almost looked exactly like one of the ones I had seen. Um, so are these robots like working side by side with people? Yeah, that's the whole idea um, about it. So the robotics, I think they started um, very simple in the industry. It was a pretty easy tool to just get things done in a higher productivity and a higher precision and do it day and night um, all day over. But the thing is, um, you build normally a tool to, to interact with it, to use it in certain situations. And robotics at the beginning were pretty complex. So only experts can use them. And um, they were pretty successful in car manufacturing industry and everything that's dirty and not very yeah, a nice environment for working with humans. And they did a great job there. So um, if you look today at the car manufacturing industry, it's like 90% is automated and only the complex part, the last 10% um, are so far not automated. And um, more and more, uh, there was kind of a saturation how you can use robots in, in the industry or in other fields because they were not flexible enough. It was a very static setup where you have to invest a lot of money at the first time, but then you can do many, many, many parts. But uh, today you have such a high variety on, on products you want to do. Or um, if you're not a big company that are building millions of cars, you need a higher flexibility. You have different product variants. Maybe you have a big, big job one time for a couple of weeks, but then you need to change everything. So there was a need of more flexibility. And there comes this problem in that this setup of classical industrial robots takes a lot of time uh, to change. 
And the idea then was, and this field that you just saw and mentioned is called cobots. It means collaborative robots. So robots are able to work close to a human and do this in a safe way so that you don't have to build up the fences and make sure with optical scanners or other safety devices that the robot hurts you. You can just put it next to um, the person and then they can work with the robot side by side and reach to the robot some parts or yeah, just, uh, just collaborate. Um, but yeah, that's actually what we're doing, but we're doing the next step of this era. So the idea of having a, a flexible robot next to your side is pretty great but there's a lot of work to do to really get the benefit of having a robotic assistant. Yeah, I saw in one of the screenshots or graphics, I was looking at, because you had this Future Days event recently. So we were like looking yes. at, and I think it was just like a week or two ago. So we, we were all like, what happened there? So we, how did it go? <laughs> It went absolutely great. So uh, it was the first time that we launched the products or that we showed the uh, products uh, to an exclusive um, amount of people, what we have done over the past time. And it was a um, tremendous success. So we had so much views. We did like three sessions, one session for Asia, one session for Europe and one session for America. And everything was uh, live streamed there. And we were all like frightened and pretty excited uh, because we were waiting for the feedback and don't want to make any mistakes. But it was a perfect day. So it went perfect and yeah the feedback that we get gives us the feeling we are on the right track right now and what was the big highlight like what's the thing that you were most excited about at the event um what you've seen so far on our website is not the things that we have put on our most focus so um there's not much to find right now what we're really doing um but um we launched their three different products um the one you've probably saw uh, we launched there a very new generation of um of a cobot so of a robot that is very light that is very precise but on the same page is um, super low cost so that even small companies or yeah, even family business can, can buy such a robot and start with simple automation. This was the first one. The second one um, that we launched was, um, um, it's called AMRs, so Autonomous Mobile Robots, um, that enables, um, yeah, for example, in logistics or assembly lines, parts to moving around completely autonomously. And on top of that, you can put also manipulators. So you have this robot with a mobile platform that can completely do um, autonomous tasks. And then the third thing, and this is the exciting, the most exciting part, we um, presented our newest product that we called a cognitive robot. So we define this as the next generation of the robotic era will, will look like. And what is special about this robot that we really start to doing a personal assistant. So. The robots that can work side by side to a human have the problem that they are still robots. So if you want to bring the robot to a new task, you still have to do this yeah, procedural programming. You need to know a little bit about robotics. You need to know a little bit about programming to really bring the robot to, to an application. But what we want to do is to make a robot as smart that you can work with it as you would work with a coworker. So if you want to teach me, for example, a new application, how would you do that? So you don't would write me a code. You don't would write me an if else instruction or something like this. Uh, you would explain it to me. You would you would show it to me. Maybe you would even even speak to me or sh show me something. And this is exactly what we have worked on to build a system that is able to do that. So imagine you have an assistant on your side that um, is not only safely working next to you and is able to detect the environment, but that also can listen to you, that you can show um, the system something and he directly understands what to do and then make um, the program out of it by themselves. Yeah. So and cool. this whole thing is 
covered under the name cognitive robot. So you got the cognition, so uh, measuring the whole environment, seeing what is around me, hearing what is around me, and then combining it with intelligent software and bring this together to, to a smart assistant. That's why. And I, this was definitely the most exciting part. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> presenting I, this. I, I thought a lot about that too because when I was thinking about different AI systems, because my background is primarily software, where my dad has mechanical engineering. And so I've got a, a little mix of both worlds, but I always thought like how like they would need to evolve. They would need to co-evolve like the sensors and the movement with the artificial intelligence, because it, it would be really hard to develop everything in just like a simulator, like just completely alone uh, and have it go all the way to market ready. So they would, they would be kind of like codependent on each other. The progression of the, the physical abilities with the progression of the like cognitive abilities. That's that's completely right, and um, this is where we put a very great focus on that we combine this world on one platform. And I also saw one of your talks to um, CTO of Vicarious AI, and it's a really cool company. What they're doing is amazing, talking about general intelligence. But bringing these things really into applications and bringing this soon into applications, there's one thing that you can't forget about, and this is how this interacts really with the hardware. So if you really want to use sensors in real time, you want to interact on situations that happen very quickly and you need to be fast, you need real-time communication. And this is very hard if you say, I have a very intelligent software, but I want to apply this to every hardware that is out there in the world. You run very, very quickly in problems like which interface you're using, is it smart enough, how do we put a camera on top of it? And then the problem becomes, again, very complex again, because you've got many different parties that need to be put together to one system. But if you really control the hardware, um, this makes them, from our perspective, the whole game changer where you can really get one step further. Um, when we started the company, we made this one week of workshops where all of our department heads started to introduce what they want to bring into the company. And I also did a start presentation. And one of my very first creators I, or, uh, yeah, I wrote down was um, people who are serious about software should do in their own hardware. Um, I think it's a quote from um, Alan Kay, um, um, yeah, a pioneer in, in um, objective-oriented programming. And he was relating, of course, to um, electronics, um, but it is also true for all the mechanical hardware. So if you have control over everything, if you exactly know how your robot arm behaves from motor to the encoders you have inside of it, and you build everything that it is made to assist a human, and then you build on top of this, this, um, this software basis, then you can really make crazy things with it. Yeah. I, I like, I like that when you're talking about this cognitive robot that you can show it things, maybe like in a warehouse setting. It's really interesting because I, I like having, I noticed that people have the conversation of, okay, the robot's not smart enough. And it's very subjective to say that it's smart. And they're like, well, yeah. it's not as smart as a human. And then you have to go farther than that. You have to say, it's not as smart as a human who knows that specialized task because yes. we've gotten far enough in life to know that if we dedicate enough time and energy with the right motivation, we can learn something, but we can only hold so much information at once, right? So we're limited in our, our capacity. So when I start thinking of how these, you know, robots will mature and, and come about, we kind of, the default conversation is that they're good at everything if they're as smart as a human. Like that's like how we think about it. But really we have to narrow that down to like how smart a human can be at one specific task. And can we get a robot programmed in an easy way to do that one specific task? And then you multiply that and the benefit that the robots have is once the skill is roboticized, that's a word, 
<laughs> um, it can <laughs> I be, think so. it yeah. can be translated. So the robot could have perfect skills at virtually every available task because it's learned from the humans and it's all and it can all be inside of one robot like in the future yeah i think what is so fascinating about um about putting ai and robotics together uh, if you compare it to humans one human can be get very very good in one task and then maybe afterwards he learn another task and another task but if you have a robot system that somehow talk with each other exchange information then what one robot is work, uh, learning in one situation you can directly apply to all the other things and this is when things really get crazy and yeah applications you do uh, get very very rapidly going everywhere and uh, the opportunities what you can do with such a system can be rolled out like everywhere. Um, this is the exciting part, but of course you have to um, have certain requirements. So if you work in an industrial environment, you will ever have specialized tools where you can grab something, some special parts with, and this exact robot then of course cannot do another task as good as some robot that has been specifically tuned for this application. But what you've learned on a software base, you can directly apply to another one. And this is fascinating, I think. So. Yeah, let's fast forward this 100 years. I, I have some kid. I have kids. They're under the age of, of four. But what it looks like now, it, like robotics is in its infancy. It's like it can pick something up. It can move something. It can do some what you were describing, some like basic monkey see, monkey do stuff now with the AI where you could show it something and it can replicate it. Fast forward that 100 years. What, what does it look like? That's a tough question. I mean... What everybody would have said 100 years before how our future would look like. So if you look at movies of the 80s or something like uh, Back to the Future, they were all thinking like flying cars and everybody was crazy that never will going to happen. But I think no one would have seen come what did happen right now with all the technology we have with smartphones, what computers we're carrying day by day with that and how we are connected together. So it's very hard to say. I love to see the videos of Boston Dynamics to do this like robots, um, the dog and um, Atlas uh, it looks like a human. And it's crazy how fast they start to move like humans. And if you fast forward that speed, how the technology has developed over the last 10 years, what they have did, and we combine it with all the technologies that are coming up there with super fast real-time communications that can happen um, over the whole world with more and more growing computing power that gets in very, very small devices. Um, they become very, very powerful tools. But I think what is very important that a robot is always a tool for a human and that those systems should always be developed to assist us, to help us to get better, to do some things easier and to improve our lives. So I don't think that there is a scary future where people think on Terminator scenarios where robots are so smart that we never can compete with them anymore. But we will be able to do things that we right now can't imagine. I'm sure of that. So it's very hard for me to imagine what 100 years uh, will look like with such a development speed. Yeah, but it's exciting, though. I think like, I tend to be an optimist because everybody that I know, they're building things to help others, right? And those are yeah. the things that really improve and grow in the market. So I think we'll continue with that path. Um, and like things like Neuralink, I like I like Elon Musk concept. If you can't beat them, join them. <laughs> right? <laughs> Let's just yeah. upload. There we go. Yeah, that's super exciting. Yeah, but but it should always be to help people. So this is also what our um, our main creator of the company is. Um, yeah, we say we serve humanity because we want to give people the ability to focus on the things that they are normally good at. And people are not good at doing tasks day and day over and over and ruin their body and getting yeah, doing unhealthy tasks. They are good at doing creative things, of being social, talking to people, evolve new ideas. And 
Um, I think this is what it is about. So to give them a tool where they can do also simple tasks with and teach them the robot, but then focus on the next one and the next one. And the assistant on their side just helps them to maybe do the dirty work or to do the work yeah, where humans are just not meant to be for. Yeah, there'll probably be like, I like to think of what's like an ideal or perfect feature just for fun, like thought experiment. And one of the things I run into is, so I think about what would it be like if we could have robots that manufactured other robots, like autonomous systems that could replicate. And then those robots essentially did all of our work for us, right? And then you mix in the conversation of like, emotion into the robots. And I think there will be a split. I think there will be like economy-based robots. And then I also think people will end up having like personal robots that they'll actually have relationships with. I think there will be service robots that they'll interact with sort of like a cobot, maybe do the laundry or the dishes, but they don't, there's no emotional software package installed on it. So I don't think it's like a one size fits all. And I know that's where the conversation goes by default is like, we imagine that they're always infinitely connected right but it's not yeah. going to be like that there's going to be different manufacturers there's going to be different operating systems there's going to be different purposes and all sorts exactly. of things yeah. it would actually be kind of chaotic to try to network them all together to have like one singular personality right like just from our background yeah, in engineering that would be an incredible feat uh, yeah but but the exciting thing is everything you just described, I think the technology is there for uh, having emotional bondings to robots. I mean, there is software that can easily detect how you're feeling right now, uh, in what a mood you are. And it's, it's so crazy what you can do already with this technology. So yeah, but it's exactly as you said. So uh, there will be not in less an iRobot or something, the one big company that builds all the assistants that can do everything from manufacturing to personal home assistance. It will be always specialized product that can help you and evolve your, your life in certain situations. And, I have a question for you. It might it might be kind of yes. silly given all your experience. Okay, so I was doing the laundry the other day and then I saw one of your robots and it seemed like it had an upper torso that the arms could move and a head, but then it, it could also like uh, had a base so it could move, correct? This is like one of the newer robots. Yes. So when yes. I saw these arms, I was like, okay, it could pull the laundry out and fold it and maybe if I like taught it, right? If I taught it, that could happen. And then I thought, okay, well, what if you wanted to build a bunch of these and then give them to people, like have people rent them, right? And they would be able to go like clean their houses and you do dishes and do laundry. But at first you wouldn't, because all the situations would be unique, you would almost need like a like a person in like a call center with robotic mesh on or like, you know, some sort of mesh controller on and like that person would do it the first couple times. And then it would autoplay for that household because it would know all the uniqueness of it. Uh, and I was just curious as far as training goes, right? Not like actually pursuing this as a business model. I just like to have these thought experiments, but as far as that goes for training, will we see robots like that in the market where there's essentially like robot drone type pilots in a central place controlling like fleets of them and teaching them and is that going to happen or is it happening well that, that could be a way of, of training the robot so um i think you can use a lot of information on how you you train a robot so uh, what we are focusing right now is that we really show the robot live directly what you want to do by taking the robot guiding him to what you should do and just record everything or by just using our fingers and using the sensors we have inside and show him for example you have to go around this corner right now and then he just records it and saves it but of course you also could use um those those tracking devices and mount it to your body and then use it um as 
robots um, doing motions and make the robot do it. I think there is um, also, um, I don't know which company it was actually, um, that did this use case on a, um, on a show where Jeff Bezos were going into these arms that were uh, we tracked and then they have two of those small robots and then we're exactly imitating, um, imitating this uh, behavior of what he is doing. So the technology is absolutely there. Um, it's only a question, I think, of what makes sense from a perspective of how easy it is, how expensive it is to have these devices that tracks you, or is it more suitable like we do it right now to use the sensors that the system already have inside and you saw it just on site to do it. But and another interesting thing, you were just talking about business models and there is a lot of thinking about doing completely new business models with robots. So I think the classical way we have today that a company that just buys a piece and then use it until it's broken and uh, scale it out as much as they need it, it also will apply to smart robotics because this is the field where everybody uh, is coming from and they will implement those robots there first. But the idea of having a person um, who is like a farmer, a robot farmer um, who has this fleet of systems and he can do jobs at certain locations or has a small manufacturing hall, for example, that can do various of jobs and he's only training the systems and then they're doing for themselves, allows a lot of freedom to have more, yeah, more ideas of how the business could work. So it don't need to be the OEM manufacturing who is doing it by itself. It could also be freelancers who have just a farm of assistants who do the work for them. And they just, yeah, training the robots and learning new tasks. Yeah, it's a whole new market. Everyone's saying the robots Absolutely. are going to take our jobs. I mean, that would create an entire, that's like every every kid who got their start, you know, knocking on the neighbor's door mowing lawns. Like what if you had the smart lawnmower, you could mow that person's lawn one or two times and then the mower would learn to do it. And then it would have yeah. some basic detection of anomalies or whatnot, but then you could have operators monitoring it. Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's always the discussion about new industry um, revolutions, what happens to the jobs that are affected by this. But it is like it has been before all the revolutions we have seen so far. Um, there is a big wide field of new opportunities of new jobs that are created by um, by those. And I think the important thing and uh, where people are very scared about is um, I need to become an expert to work with robots. And this has been true for the last decades. Um, it was very hard to work with a robot. You need to know, as I just mentioned, programming language and so on. But those new types of robots, they are just programmed and used as you do it with your smartphone. So everybody who's able to go on the internet to using a simple app, they also can use a robot and it's not a hard thing to learn it. So there will be not experts trainings and so on. You just can look it in the web and have a training there and just learn, okay, how it works very simple. And then you can start trying it and just do it by yourself. And I think if people realize this and if they have the contact the first time with such a system or one of our robots and they see there is not this barrier anymore. I can do it um, very, very easy. I can learn it very quickly. I think then many people will lose the fear that there will be no space for them in, anymore in the future. Of course, they have the they need to have this um, that, that they need to learn something new or that they need to change something. But um, it is possible for everybody to work with such a system. It's amazing some of the fear though that I've I've seen out there. I was actually surprised. So I was talking about it with uh, my father-in-law who happens to uh, like be like ups semi-truck driver like shipping semi-truck driver and he was like oh that'll never happen and i was at it was like last thanksgiving and i was like what do you mean i mean 
they they just built a semi that delivered its first autonomous load already. He's like, no, it would never happen. And so I, I looked it up online and I found this like documentary on Amazon Prime where they interviewed all of these semi truck drivers and the amount of like anger and fear of them saying like how impossible it is and how you have to, you know, understand the road and all these like uh, things that sensors could definitely do a lot better. It was just surprising to me. I was like, I guess I am in my tech bubble. Like with all the tech people, like when I can see this stuff and understand it, it's very, very exciting to me. Yeah. And I also kind of understand that it is for many people also very scary. So if you see uh, the Boston Dynamic robots uh, <laughs> the first time, it looks kind of scary, of course. Um, but on the other hand, it's so fascinating what you can do with it. And if you use the tools right, I think there is nothing to be scared of. But people are not in the tech industry like we do it every day and we're reading so much things about it. Um, I can absolutely understand that this looks frightening and this looks something that is not good and <laughs> that people don't want, but right. uh, it will happen. Absolutely. It's like people are scared of, it's like human thing. People are scared of what they don't know. I mean, even myself, yeah. it's my first reaction when I don't understand something to be scared of it. And then I, you know, have some realization, but I was curious about your company. So is, and we can edit the podcast as much as we want, but uh, is neuro robotics, is that like a new thing or can you explain neuro robotics to me? Um, we are about to change the brand a little bit. Okay. So um, as you've seen before, when you before the launch event of last Friday, um, everything was under the title Hans Robert. This is how we started. This is um, our initial name. But right now we're changing the brand a little bit um, to the new era of what we're doing. So Neuro, the name from, from neurons, so uh, bringing in intelligence to systems is definitely more suiting for um, the new era that we are working on about now. So it's still the same company, but we're just making a little bit of rebranding. So uh, if if you right now go on websites and so on, there will still be a lot of the old name because we just announced it last week that we will do it. But over the next weeks and months, we will then completely just um, transfer everything to the new brand. Nice, nice. I like the name. It sounds very modern. It's a really, I'm a, I'm a huge fan. Thanks. I love it also. I love it very much. Um, what did Han mean for Han's robot? Um, um, it's it's Chinese actually. Okay. Um, it's we we have a Chinese relationship, and uh, Han comes from uh, for the people, for everybody. Um, so it's also suitable actually um, the name. But for many people who not directly understand it, it's maybe not so obvious what the main name means. Yeah, it was well. In you know, you're in Germany, and I have one of my friends who's German. His name's Hans, and we realized we're like, no, no, no it's Han. It's like <laughs> it's Han apostrophe s. It's not Hans as the name. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it happened actually very often. If you talk to German companies, especially companies maybe that are not so modern, a little bit older, and then you explain what the name is, then they're always thinking about the German uh, first name, Hans. So this this other rope, so you guys have the new Cobot, or, the, or Cobots is the category, and then you... Cobot is a category, exactly, yeah. And um, so we have we have three different products. We have we have a cobot um, that is also something very special and new to the industry because right now cobots are mainly focused about being very light and very flexible and uh, to be safe. And what we brought together here is what the industry absolutely needed um, to bring in industry standards like um, robustness, protection classes, and accuracy to such a concept. So the new cobot that we um, just launched, the name is actually Lara. It means a lightweight um, autonomous robotic assistant, combines those both worlds. So being lightweight, being flexible, and being very precise, and also having such a system at a very low price so that small companies can start implementing robots um, very, very easily. Then we have 
have this mobile robot I just talked about and our newest version that we call um, actually Mira that you won't find much about it. It stands for um, multi-sensing intelligent robotic assistant. Um, this is what we like to define a cognitive robot because this is the next step over the cobots. Okay, so which if I wanted to build the uh, a robot that could put away my dishes from my dishwasher, right? Yes. And I wanted to do it from like a like a remote location. Like I'm here at my office, I'm not at home, and I want to put on my robot suit and I want to be inside of this robot and put my dishes away back at home. Which robot would I start with as a base to start hacking on top of? As soon as you move in an environment where not everything is controlled, you need this next evolution of robots because uh, that's what it's about. Um, cognition means that you can detect and interact with the environment when things happen that you don't can be foreseen. So in a household where things can lay around, where the dishes can be a little bit different than before or something gets stuck or whatever, this is exactly the environment that is so far for robots so complicated. And there you absolutely need all the sensors and the um, algorithms behind us who can deal with this. And so the answer would be clear uh, for me. You absolutely need one of those uh, cognitive robots. And with a cobot, you also could do pretty, uh, pretty cool tasks. And you can very easily um, learn um, how to uh, bring the dishes out of your dishwasher. But as soon as something happens that you haven't programmed before, um, then it gets stuck. And I think you wouldn't be happy <laughs> with such a system at home where you come home and he stopped after 10% because um, there was something unexpected happened. Now, can people build on top of your robots? Are they open? Yes, they are. Um, this was super important for us. So um, the whole software architecture that we built is um, designed that um, first step, you got many, many known interfaces that are industry standards that have real-time capabilities. And we also offer all the sensors we have inside of there, all the AI features that everybody can directly work with it and also run programs on our system. And this even goes to user interfaces. So you're also able to just very, very quickly design your own user interfaces. So if you are a company, a small company, you, I don't know, do welding applications and you just need some things to add for your customers that you can directly build it on top of it. And the field of robotics where we are going into will be so huge and there can be so many things be done that it would be crazy if we say we do it all by our own. Uh, we want that people work on our system. We want that research institutes, that um, universities, that they use the system and they love it because it is so open source and it has all the standards that you are yet the new from robotics. And um, yeah, this is also where a big barrier right now in the robotics market is because normally a robot manufacturer want their system as close as possible because there is their know-how inside and they offer just the interfaces you need that are from industry standards required. But as soon as you want to do new things, and those things mostly happen at first in, in, yeah, in research facilities, and I worked also there for a long, long time, it was super frustrating. If you have this great idea, you have this great organization where multiple companies want to do crazy things, you have new sensors and great software developers, but you can't do it because you have no access to that black box. And this bothered us so much that we said, all right, we directly from the beginning, we want to do it open and we want everybody to be able to build on top of it. Yes. I'm a fan. That is so exciting. <laughs> That's what you want. I mean, I've been a software developer for like 17 years and nothing's more frustrating than when you want to just go over and make an edit to something and it's all locked up and you can't even do, you know, flip a single bit. You can't just make one small change. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I think the industry has to understand that if they really want to do big innovation steps and they want to move forward and improve systems, um, that they cannot do everything in their house because it takes so much knowledge to build such a thing. So, I mean, we have here a team um, where you have engineers from all different disciplines and they will be working on it since many, many, many years and built up their knowledge in there. And uh, what we are putting here together um, and having such a crazy environment and crazy team here, this is very rare, especially for the companies who are in manufacturing here or in production. They have the specialized staff in doing what they are best at. And this is what companies should always do, doing having their focus. And if they are one, if they are trying then to use a robot and say, all right, we're building everything by our own on top, but we're securing the knowledge that only we can do it. This won't do very big innovative steps. So um, you need systems that are open, where people share, where you have communities, where you have like we have systems planned like like app stores, where people can do great applications and then just supply to the community, or if they're very very good, build a business on top of it and say I'm expert at this application here. You can buy my applications, and then you don't have to do anything new with your robot. You just start it, and you are also an expert in this. And this is also. A thing that will get the industry to a completely change because you not have this classical chain where you have the manufacturer, the robotics or automation expert and the customer. You then have, like you did it in a smartphone, you have a complete community of intelligent people all over the world who can work on it and supplying them with simulators. So for people that don't have the money to build such a robot because, or buy a robot, because um, for a private person, of course, these are machines in the first place that are made for industry. So um, they're not coming as a DJI drone, uh, <laughs> but for industry, they're very cheap. Um, giving them then simulators, online tools where they can work on how they can learn programming um, or giving this to schools and um, uh, universities. Um, I think this is where the real fun then happens when many people say, all right, this is so cool. I want to work on this. That's so cool. You remind me a lot of like, like Stripe, the payments processor, when they came out, they just focused on building the infrastructure and making it really easy for developers to engage with it. And they completely took the payments industry by, by storm. All the other payment processors saw it as an expense and pointless and you know, focused all their resources elsewhere. And they said, we're just going to make it really, really easy for all these engineers out there to build on top of. And then they're like dominating now. And it sounds like you, you're you making it really easy for build, people to build on top of these robots. Yes, that's exactly the plan. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Stripe, next Stripe billionaire, Hendrick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a long, long road to go there. So we're just getting started. Um, and that's the exciting thing. So we already have done so many cool things. And we're so proud of the robots that uh, we have right now here running at our partners, at our first customers. And um, but still, it's just the beginning. So the road of those robots bringing to a wide application in the world, it's, it's, it's such a long road. And that's the exciting thing. So that we just done those first steps. So at what at what point do you call it a robot? So like I have an Alexa, right, on that sits on my kitchen countertop. And I can talk to her, interact with her. She can affect change in the real world by me placing an order or a volume change or lights on and off. But but then I typically associate robots with things that can that can move, right? But I what's what's the actual line? Like where do you say this is a robot? Well, I'm not an expert in the definition and the real definition of robot. So if I has learned that it's a programmable machine that can do um, repeatable tasks that you have once 
train them on. If this also applies to something that only happens uh, virtually by talking to you or controlling lights or whatever, I actually don't know. So um, I would also call this um, kind of a robot. So, but I think mainly people seeing robots as things that can interact with something and that can move. So what definitely our robots are like, like drones, like automatic lawnmowers, uh, like all the things we've seen from, from industry and those type of things that somehow can move, can walk, can um, have kind of mechanics that interacts um, a program or the, no, that transfers a program into emotion. So I think this might be the, the, the correct definition of what a robot is. I might be a robot. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I think in, I don't know, five to 10 years, it will be hard to tell. <laughs> it will be. I've got my little cyborg, uh, my cyborg add-on right here. Soon it will be embedded inside of me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's 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 starting with Neuralink, and then we see what comes next. <laughs> what what is some of the like you mentioned like the lawnmowers too? I'm I'm just assuming that they've exist. I've never actually pulled them up and I've seen them, but I I have seen some of the. Uh, I had a talk with the uh, like construction foreman, and they were explaining me, uh, explaining to me about how some of these uh, like paving machines for highways, right, building like the asphalt machines, how they're partially autonomous now with even though there's a person in the control yeah. seat they're very targeted with the gps and the movements are all uh like planned out in advance um and so i'm just curious what what is some of the coolest things that you've seen uh, aside from what you're doing like it, just out there in the world that we've been using robotics for recently well, there are so many crazy things out there. I think a couple of we definitely talked about. So I am a huge fan of what Boston Dynamics is, uh, is doing. And uh, a couple of those videos really first time scared me. And I am always winner people not knowing what are robots right now. And I try to describe what is actually a robot and how robots can look at the future. I just pulling out my smartphone and joining like the videos where he's doing parkour movements. And they were like, this is not CGI. This is real. Um, so I think these are definitely one of the craziest things. Um, what I also am really impressed of, um, I worked for a long time, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, in the aircraft manufacturing industry. And there are such amazing machines where mobile robots that weigh like 10, 15 tons or something like this, where multiple of those move together to a fuselage of, the, um, of an aircraft and weld this, or not weld this, uh, bond, no, also not bonding, what's the, riveting. Yeah, riveting is the right word. Rivet those uh, fuselages together. and. Those are such amazing looking machines. I mean, it's not such as high-end robotic as um, Boston Dynamics is doing it, but it's just the combination of uh, so many big machines doing this completely autonomous. And it's like a huge, huge, huge factory where uh, it looks like uh, airplanes can be built completely autonomously. And that is so cool. That's amazing. My, my producer, Jake, he just sent me a link to this company. I can't pronounce them because it's, it's just hard for me to say. It starts with an H, but they you can buy an autonomous like personal lawnmower for your own yard. That's yeah, crazy. You never see, have seen the rest? No, I've never seen these. <laughs> um, I think they are pretty similar to what to the one that makes the vacuum cleaning in your in your household. I think it's yeah. mainly the, the, the same principle, but they're just a little bit more robust for, for outdoors. So um yeah, that's also a category of robots, and they are super successful because um, there's such a wide market for it. Um, what we are doing up to now is still focused on industrial use cases like manufacturing or in the future, like medical, food production, life science, and so on. But going with robots into the private sector and consumer market, like, like drones and all this 
private robots he used, that is an insane big market and they are super successful with that. I love it. And um, there's, you know, the, the German company Bosch, um, yeah. who's the main car uh, supplier, they have this cool commercial where um, they have a song like a Bosch. So they're using like a boss as like a Bosch. And they're so, uh, showing what IoT in the future in the private sector can mean. So you have the car that drives in your um, in your yard completely autonomously. Then you have those lawnmowers. You have your automized um, refrigerator that says you what to do. You have all this lighting that is controlling. And it's so cool. It's just one person walking around and everything is uh, completely done by robots. And he's just like a Bosch because he don't have to do anything. That's <laughs> pretty cool. I love this commercial. I love it. I'm going to watch that after, after our conversation here. That sounds really cool. Uh, wow. That man, I just, I'm excited. The weird thing is my friend, we are going to see this in our lifetime. Like yes. 20, 30 years. This is, I was thinking about I, my kids growing up and I was like, what, in 10 years or 12 years, when they start to get their licenses, how many, what percentage of the cars are going to be autopilot? Probably a lot. Yeah. Yeah. That's absolutely true. So um, I think I'm, I'm very lucky that I uh, have been born at the time that I have been born, because I also think that the time where computer is starting really to roll out and um, to have been one of the, uh, the kids that have a Nokia phone and that really yeah. appreciated what piece of technology we have today in our hands and not only saying, all right, I use it for Instagram and so on, but really understanding how much engineers have worked for it over decades and how crazy the technology has become. I think this will even more value the next 10, 20, 30 years, what will happen to see where we have started. So, and sometimes, yeah, when I, uh, I see my parents right now, they are also adopting all this technology at their homes and they're still pretty open to it. And I force them that they do new things because I never want that they say, okay, I'm too old for this because I don't believe that you're ever too old for this. Today, it's so easy. You can learn it all the time. You can be 90 and you can learn how to use a smartphone. But if I imagine what they must be thinking of the world of today, if they started their life in the 50s and they are seeing what right now is happening in the world, I think for us it will be even crazier. <laughs> I hope so. That's what I was sold. I was sold craziness, right? I, that's that's what I, I'm excited for it to happen. I mean, you just look back at the movies and what they're predicting. And, and then whenever I see a business case line up with a futuristic technology, you just know it's going because all the money can flow there. Like once you start building the robots for the uh, industrial sector, money just happens because they're looking for efficiency and growth. And also there's just constantly more humans. I think a lot of the times when we talk about economics, we leave out this fact that there's not a static amount of humans. Like we are growing yep. rapidly. And so there's yep. more people, there's more needs of the, the basic items and you know, it, it almost seems like we will get the technology the moment we start to need it. You know, when we, I don't think we were meant to just completely fill up earth and that be it. I mean, I think we're explorers. Like, I think the technology will enable us to venture out to, to far beyond where we currently are. Absolutely. What I find super interesting is that some of the um, technologies that we are using today or the ideas of having that, that they were started in science fiction movies. And I think it's fascinating that many of these ideas are not coming from the people who are building this, but they're coming from people who are just creating stories, just thinking about visions and create the future. And then, um, yeah, people like us then just picking up and say, all right, that's possible. And we can, we can do use it for this one or that one. And we can improve the world uh, to a better one we can do in, when we can do this one. So. 
it's it's so fascinating that innovation can happen in in such various ways. And um, yeah, this is why I also love to watch science fiction movies because it's always interesting to see people who are saying, "Oh, that's nonsense," and that's not going to happen. And they say, "Oh, you're partly right. Okay, that's maybe a little bit." Um, uh, over the top to make it more exciting, but actually they are kind of pieces of technology where you could do this in the future. And if we need it as humans, uh, there might be something who will come up with it. And I think that's one of the greatest parts about humanity as a whole, because we're such a diverse, like if we look at all of humanity, like a specific organism, like as a single organism, right? There's parts of us that cre like do this imagination thing and that becomes movies and arts. And, and there's people that are, you know, more into that. They spend their time there. So they're, they're specialists there. There are people that are specialists in the building, but it, we're all like connected in, in the fact that when we're not building, right? When we're not doing our day-to-day -day thing, the here and now thing in our extracurricular act time in our media consumption time, a lot of that is like either replaying social scenarios that we're just familiar with or envisioning a future right yeah and so yeah. it's 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 almost like an incredibly important part of humanity to be constantly being over the top like creative with the science fiction and the future because that inspires us you know to to get to that next step it's like it's very uh i think humanity is like a very beautiful interesting organism yeah yeah and I think also the, the diversity you just mentioned, it's super important for doing innovation. So um, we here in the company, we have like, um, oh, let me count, I think like 20 nations or something working from all over the world, even though we're not um, um, right now the biggest company in the world. We already in a small team have like um, yeah 20 nations and it's such a great impact on the work. You have so many different backgrounds, cultural, also political, and it's such a cool thing how um, very different people can talk about the same thing, have the same passion and want to do the same thing in the future, how it in, you know, uh, incredibly um, makes development and innovation faster. So if everybody would just come from from maybe my private environment that I that I think they are similar like me, I don't think that we would do such a rapid innovation as we're doing it right now. It's, it's because of the diversity we have here in, um, in the teams and in the environment. And yeah, I think this you can scale up to the whole humanity. So um, even if uh, or only if we use this diversity, we will do the big next great steps. Yeah. We have to embrace uh, something that's very useful to the progression of us, right? Yeah. What are you learning from a leadership perspective? So you, you're a leader at the company, you're building these robots. It seems like there's a lot of energy, a lot of drive, a lot of passion for, for what you're doing in the market you're in. You've got people, diverse background, 20 plus nations, but you as a leader and your personal growth uh, in your career, like, what are you learning right now? If I summarize what I have learned over the last time, it's it's firstly, um, I was super, um, not scared, but I had a very big respect to start this position at such um, with such talented people because everybody here is an expert in their field. They have such a great track of record and it really brought me out of my comfort zone when I started here. But I really learned quickly um, that there's really no need to do it. So everybody has this role here. I have the role to communicate mainly, to bring ideas together, to see where are the focuses we need to set. And I have grown over the last one and a half years, for me personally, um, enormous. So on the one side, technologically, I, I have a study background and also my professional background where I learned a lot of different fields, but how deep I could dive into technology in certain fields like electronic manufacturing and embedded software development and so on, where I know a couple of things before, but how intense we are doing it right now. This is one part where I 
have grown a lot. And the other thing is that, um, of course, it's also very challenging to have such a complex product as we are doing it and to bring many, many people from different backgrounds together and make their work as effectively as possible. And it helps a lot that people here are working that I completely can trust. And I have team leaders that I have worked together before for 10 years. And I brought them in the company and uh, showed them their vision that we are going to do it. And they were fascinating from it. And I knew the moment that I saw the, the, um, the blink in the eye when I asked, do you want to join us? Or do you want to become a part of the team? And I said, yes, I want to do it. I know I can trust you. And I can concentrate on learning and adopting with you on my side um, because I know you will do the best of your job and I know what you're doing. And I think... This was very, very important. And the thing of getting far, further and further from me is always, um, my personal rule is to try to bring me every time in unexpected situations and come out of the comfort zone because it is quickly, when you do a quick development, you quickly reach a new level of comfort and um, you're used to speak for many people. You're used to lead them bigger teams and go to companies and present your product and your company to the CEOs of the world this becoming day and day more to the comfort zone. So um, it's hard that you every time find something new that you don't know and then concentrate on that because this will help you as a person to grow and then, um, yeah, bring this into your new field of where you like to work. Nice. So yeah, you're learning a lot. You're really excited. This is a, this is awesome company, huh? Absolutely. It is so great. And um, yeah, one of the best parts, as I just mentioned it, that I work with so many people over so long time and um, that every people that I asked, I know in this field, you're the best person that I know. And I have the complete trust that you can fill your position there. And each person that we were asking, same for, for my network as for, for, for David's network that I think you will also talk to in um, a couple of weeks, our CEO. Um, he also asked his, um, the best people from his network. Every of those people, they were directly in and they thought this vision is the right thing to do. And from the beginning on when we started, we had this feeling of we are a team that is working together for 10 years, even if many of the people have seen at the first day where we started them for the first time. And yeah, this... This environment here and this team with working on such a great vision that really drives us and kicks us in the ass day to day to do more and be better and creating the greatest out of our products. Oh, I love it. That's like a mic drop moment. You're great. This has been fantastic, <laughs> Kendrick. We made a podcast. <laughs> How do you feel? I feel great. It was so much fun. So it was, uh, it was not the first podcast that I was doing, but the ones that I've did so far were more like really focusing on what we did at the last part. So uh, motivating people on how they can build up their career, how they can do it better, or very, very technical and diving into very certain things. So I love the mixture that we just uh, discussed here from political, cultural aspects over new technology, how it will go there. It was super exciting. So thank you very much for being a part of it. I am very honored to be in such a great format here that you've created with many, many people that um, are on the highest level of the tech companies in the world. And I feel pretty honored uh, to be a part of it. Oh, I'm so grateful that you you took time and came on and hung out. I like I like this to be like, if you and I were to go to lunch, you know, what would we talk about? This is what we would talk about. This is what would be interesting. And uh, like for me, with being a software engineer for so long and I got to work on you know so many different types of products like it's fascinating to me like what you're doing with robotics like I I could have a whole lifetime over there but instead I just kind of like get to dive in and talk to experts from all the different industries and for me that's just kind of like the thing that I really enjoy doing so you know this hour that we get to spend together I mean this is like the highlight of my week man 
Absolutely. I think when COVID allows us, we also will definitely present our products in the States. Uh, yeah. We plan to do it in, in January also on the CES, but unfortunately, uh, not a chance, but maybe... Uh, maybe the year after, uh, we will be definitely there and rolling this out to the whole world. And we want everybody just to touch the robot. And then we absolutely know that they will fall in love. And we don't have to do anything more than just bring the systems to the people and only say them try it once. And we know they will uh, be excited about it. So thank you very much. I really love uh, the format that you're doing. And yeah, I can imagine that it must be so exciting to talk to such great people on a weekly basis and to learn so much different things. And you did great by building up this, uh, this podcast here. Thank you. Okay, then have a good week. Thank you so much for taking the time. It was absolutely amazing and I uh, hope to see you soon. Talk soon, buddy. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you would like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.